Hello and welcome to the Hoop Troop Podcast. I am Matt O'Connor and joining me as he does on all of our shows is my cousin Luke Drobner. What's up guys? And we are back with some more off-season uh, action. Not much has happened, slow week. Well, I shouldn't say not much has happened. I feel like it is still pretty significant. But we had the end of Summer League. We had a slight resolution to the DeAndre Ayton saga. And then some serious drama come out with a little Donovan Mitchell. And not so much a trade request as just like trade rumors. The Jazz are, are shopping them around. So some action, nothing too concrete, but still... Plenty for us to talk about. So, Luke, I want to start with the DeAndre Ayton news. I feel like this time last week, it was it was in the air. He was going to sign a, a an offer sheet with the Pacers. It wasn't official yet, but it has since happened. What are your takeaways from him signing that? The Suns obviously matching and and not mm-hmm. doing it, opting for a sign and trade, um, and then the potential fallout that comes from that. Well, it's really interesting because. Obviously, the Suns were rumored to be one of the teams in the race for Kevin Durant. And essentially, they I guess they had ignored DeAndre Ayton in some type of way to say, to say like, hey, we're trying to get Kevin Durant and there could be a possible signing trade, so we don't want to commit to anything yet. And then he ended up just being like, fuck it, signing an offer sheet from the Pacers and then the Suns being like, okay, well, let's just match it. which. I think the way the Suns handled this was like in a very team first type of way, obviously from the ownership down, you kind of get a bad taste in your mouth. Kind of like when Gordon Hayward was a restricted free agent with the jazz and he was like, yeah, I'm stuck here for another four years and then immediately left to go to Boston. Right. Cause, and so you kind of see the same thing playing out here with Aiden, the Suns mishandling the situation a little bit. I really thought that they were going to end up trading him a sign and trade because it's like, here you are already, you've kind of shot yourself in the foot with Aiden wanting to be around. So trade him for something and start anew. But yeah. I guess if you, I mean, if you really think about it, like how much longer does Chris Paul have left before uh, he's I mean, no he has longer? one more year on his contract with the Suns. So like, who knows how long yeah. after that he stays there? Even if he stays, how good is he going to be? Is he still effective? Is he still the same defender, scorer, passer, things like that, that we need to compete, especially if Devin Booker isn't going to become a top 10 player in the league, which at this point, I'm unsure if it's going to happen. He's still plenty young, but you're right. We haven't seen that improvement as a playmaker yet. Um, He's obviously, like, he's gotten more efficient in his own right, but yes, we're still lacking that extra level, like, superstar facilitation like even if he was just averaging like i feel like as a guard if he could get up to like seven assists or so something like that six or seven like he well, would truly be in position to be a top 10 player with his scoring ability but he hasn't he shown that increase is he a wing or is he a guard i look at him as like a true two i mean three-time all-star he's been averaging 26 27 points during that these last three years it's not that he's bad. I just don't think he's the number one option on a championship winning team. I almost relate him to like a Bradley Beal, which is great, right? Like, he, like if he wants to be in Phoenix on very okay teams, he's going to make a lot of money. But if he wants to win a championship, there has to be some type of sacrifice here. Yeah, especially he's I- coming up. You say he's he's not too old yet. He's twenty six, so here he is. He's entering his prime, right here, right now. He should be a top ten player in the league, or at least arguable for it. You would hope. I just don't see it. I mean, and, he's clearly uh, I getting just, there. 
Like, I think yeah. we've seen the steady improvement. And I think having Chris Paul next to him is helpful. I think okay. they are, I think it's less so much an issue with Devin Booker on that team as it, I mean, you mentioned it, it's Chris Paul aging. And also he's making a ton of money right now. Like you're not going to want to pay an aging Chris Paul like that. He's going to have to, if he wants to win in Phoenix or elsewhere, honestly, Chris Paul in his next contract is going to have to take a pay cut. He's going to have to do what uh, yeah, Harden yeah. just did. And, and he's going he to have to do more than what Harden did. I still feel that Harden is a far better scorer playmaker than Chris oh, Paul is at this current absolutely. moment. Absolutely. And I think that has to do a little bit with age, right? I think James Harden's what, like 32, 33, Chris Paul's 37. Right. Exactly. No. And, and I think so, that's absolutely in mind, but I think right now, Chris Paul making well over, you know, 30 plus million. I don't know that you want to be paying him that much, especially as he yeah. ages on that next contract. So if he, if he wants a Suns ring, he's going to And I think for like the Suns too, now that you're, you are getting more capped out, Booker is signing that bigger extension. You have Aiton signing that at mm-hmm. some point, Bridges is going to ask for a lot more money. All of them and are going to get paid. More. Right. So they're all, the, all of their salaries are going to increase. It's going to be harder to keep that core together if it involves Chris Paul, it's on his shoulders to kind of take that pay cut and say, Hey, I want to win here. This is how we're going to do it. Um, but I do, I think it's, I think the Aiton piece of that is very fascinating because you mentioned not doing a sign and trade, which I do, I give them credit for because they were going to ultimately go from one uncertainty in paying Aiton and, and what that might entail to another, say they traded for Miles Turner, who next off season is an unrestricted free agent. You're going to have to deal with this again anyway. So I get signing Aiton um, to a max. I think you were right. right. Their front office played it as a very team first approach, but they're like, Hey, we don't necessarily think you're worth a max, but if you can go out and get one, we'll match it, which is fair. But like you made, you mentioned the exact parallel I was thinking with Gordon Hayward, like that doesn't go over well with players. When you do that, you want to show some loyalty, but now it's super fascinating. So it might take them out of the running for Kevin Durant, at least temporarily, because Aiton can't get traded until January 15th. And in that same regard, he, one, cannot get traded to the Pacers for a full calendar year. And two, he is the power of veto now on trades. He has to get traded. They can only trade him with his consent. So if it's a right. deal he doesn't like, sorry, like it's not happening. So it, it absolutely and complicates it- the Kevin Durant thing for them which I think flows right into what we were talking about, about how like their window might be closing. Like it is an it ugly, is closing. Ugly... It's, it, it's closing very quickly. This upcoming year, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight expiring contracts. I mean, Jay Crowder is expiring. Dario Saric, who missed last year with the torn ACL is expiring. Cameron Johnson's on his last year of his rookie, rookie contract. Tory Craig is expiring. Bismack Biyama is expiring. Um, you know, they have guys on this roster. Michael Bridges, I guess, signed an extension at some point, but he's making $20 million this upcoming. He must have signed it last year. He signed a four-year $90 million extension, which he's getting paid at starting this upcoming season, right? So 20 mil, 21, 23, 24. Devin Book is not under contract for a long, long time. And Chris Paul is under contract until 24, 25, but it's not guaranteed. And the year before that is only partially guaranteed. So again, like the Suns want to cut him. It's you know cap cap is pretty how pretty easy to do that how do you cut chris paul and i understand at that price tag you might um but what happens I mean, he if his production he, really really dips is he not the best right? point guard option you're gonna have he might i mean not i think be. he's a perfect complement to devin booker and the rest of honestly the rest of those guys like we've mentioned how booker does not have that playmaking ability that really differentiates superstars no so and, having a guy like chris paul next to him is perfect 
And Chris Paul brings a winning mentality. You see it everywhere he goes. His teams right. instantly get better because he's a great point guard. He understands how to motivate his teammates. He throws good passes. You know, but like if I'm paying Chris Paul $30 million and I'm paying DeAndre in 26 and I'm paying Devin Booker 40, you know, that You're doesn't leave a, a whole lot of other room. Right. That's what I mean. Uh, if Devin Booker's not a top 10 player in the league, it's it's just not a roster that's going to work. The, the best chance they had was when they went to the finals and lost to the Bucks. I think that was the peak of their window. We see it in the playoffs this year when they absolutely got smacked by the Mavericks in a game seven. If you're the best team in the West and you, you know, you had a good first round series, I understand maybe, you know, fighting through some injuries or something like that. But I mean, you're supposed to come out here and be ready for a game, a huge game seven. You knew Luka Doncic and the Mavs were not just going to give up. Right. And they looked so flat. They went down early. Yeah. They, you know, was never able to build a comeback. That's what I mean. You know, there, you see that meme all the time now. It's like Chris Paul hits a huge three to cut the lead down to 42, right? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 right. It's, uh, it's a bad situation. If I'm Devin Booker, I'm quietly trying to figure out my way out because I don't think DeAndre, let's, let's say if I continue to want to compete here in Phoenix, I don't think DeAndre is coming back after this contract. As soon as he's unrestricted, he's going to go wherever he wants. Oh, I don't think it's not going to be Phoenix. I don't think he's finishing this contract as a Phoenix son. I think he's getting out of there. Uh, and I think, I, I think they are motivated to do so as well. I think they don't value him as much as other teams in the league do. And I think that's very obvious. Look at what the Pacers just did. I think other yeah, teams value Right. So I do think they'll ultimately move him. And they have access to all of their picks. I think that ultimately they will make more moves to try and win and kind of guide their future a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's very complicated now. Like they're not, they don't really have the flexibility at this point to make one of those major moves. So I think they're kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit, which is fine. And I think that is okay when you do have a great center in DeAndre Ayton. Like it's not like it's a negative bringing him back. The only harm is that he does not, he realistically does not want to be there, um, which could have think, adverse effects to your locker room. But beyond that, some like, of the, he will be gone the at other, some point. The other, some of the other rumors about DeAndre Ayton is that he has – personality issues and when we talk about personality issues it's not like he's crazy or anything like that i think he just lacks motivation at times i think that was like one of the biggest critiques he's had his whole career and here i am a phoenix suns organization who i'm not like encouraging him i'm not showing him that we really really want him i'm kind of saying to him like yeah it's nice to have you here and we want to have you here but on the cheapest price tag we want which isn't necessarily the mindset you want to be giving your players who lack motivation when you're trying to win a championship. But I think that's like a chicken or the egg situation. Like what is causing the lack of motivation? Like, is it, is he not motivated because they're not showing any, any real prioritization of his career or is it the other way around? They're not prioritizing him because he's not motivated. So I do think they feed off each other a bit and it has led to this very negative, um, just truly just the negative situation in that organization. Um, Sure. So I don't know. And like, I, I obviously I think it's like the Spider-Man meme of them pointing at each other, so basically being like, no, it's you, no, it's you. Like, I don't know. Like, right, right, I, right. I really don't know um, definitively what's causing it, but I don't blame Aiden for being like, I'm, I'm a number one overall Whatever. pick. Like I could be more than you're letting me be. And I get that he's frustrated and wanted out. And I, I really do actually think that Indiana would have been a great situation for him. Like, I think it would have been a great spot for him to expand his game 
alongside Tyrese Halliburton with really no repercussions if you falter. So I actually think it would be a pretty good spot. I think the Pacers are one of those teams that are trying to be bad, especially with the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes coming up. Um, My biggest concern with Aiden being in Indiana was the fact that Turner would still be there. You know, here... Here there are rumors there, you know, I'm sure if you're the Phoenix Suns organization and you're trying to stay in contact with Aiden, he should be telling you, oh, well, the Pacers have come to me and we've been talking. That would that would have been the moment for me as the Phoenix Suns organization, front office, whatever you want to say, to reach out to the Indiana Pacers and say like, hey, look, we understand you're interested in DeAndre Aiden. He's a great kid. We love him having him here. But uh, obviously, we don't want to have to pay the full price tag that you guys want to pay him. You know, how about we figure out a sign and trade here? And there are pieces on the... Uh, Indiana Pacers that would have made sense for the Phoenix Suns and they agree. you know they decided not to you know make it happen so um, again but, I, I really think the Suns messed up not finding a way to move him and get value back that's and that's the other thing is I, I still think and it, it's largely because they have so much cap space left like the Pacers are realistically still a destination for DeAndre Ayton at some point but the problem is now they can't trade him there for a full year so that really just reinforces problems because how many teams are realistically in a position to absorb a max contract without necessarily giving up significant assets uh, in return, financial assets well, in that regard. So like you talked about the Suns thinking about trading for Kevin Durant, you do something like that, right? DeAndre Ian is the cornerstone piece in a Kevin Durant trade. That's just Except the Nets don't want him. So they would have needed that third team. The Pacers were perfect. Maybe the Spurs the now, new- the Spurs are another team with that extra space. They don't necessarily have that like, groundbreaking center on their team but Mm -hmm. and like they just signed Kelvin Johnson to a four-year 80 million extension like they do have pieces in place that realistically fit that eight in timeline but I I, like I still don't love that fit Uh, I mean maybe at the end of this season if they get Victor or something like that it would be a good compliment but there's way too much uncertainty with the Spurs I feel like the Pacers were the prime target to facilitate maybe a multi-team trade involving DeAndre Ayton and Kevin Durant but it's kind of out the window for now Especially, I mean, and I guess this does kind of flow into the next conversation I wanted to have. Like, I think the Nets are just going to bring him back. Like, it's, it sounds yeah, like I this mean, is like a, a now either a trade deadline or next offseason issue. I think there's a huge asking price on some of these stars. And I understand that there are, like, obviously you're going to get a lot for Kevin Durant. You should get a lot for Kyrie Irving. And you, we've seen that in the past when people like Anthony Davis get traded and Paul George gets traded and Russell Westbrook gets traded and things like that, right? We see these huge, you know, returns for some of these all-star players, all NBA players. And you're going to get a lot for Kevin Durant, especially because he is an MVP candidate. But I feel like the asking price might be just so ridiculous. I think we see rumors all the time. It's like they're asking for like two all-stars, eight picks. Like you're not going to like, and that's kind there, of the- there's a difference. There's a difference between Paul George, who, like, you know, has destination set, isn't really a problem off the court. Right. Whereas, like, Kevin, you know, Kevin Durant's going to be a fucking circus, and so is Kyrie Irving. But that's that's something that I want to piggyback because I think you're entirely right. For whatever reason, the asking prices in the NBA have have shifted a bit. I feel like normally for star players, you've been able to facilitate trades just one on one. Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. very different story. No one of his caliber with this much time left on a contract has been traded. So I understand that there is like a little gray area between what we're asking for, what teams are willing to give up. Yeah, but is, how much does that time to... on the contract left mean, right? Here he is. He's 
he has four years left in in Brooklyn, and he's like, I want out. Right. What's to say Kevin Durant in two years and one year says I want out and I have to trade him again, right? right. Like we 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 don't we don't players aren't allowing their contracts to expire before they say I want out. Yeah, and so I think that that's part of it, and that's why teams are not willing to meet the demands of the trading team. It's because there is that uncertainty now, and I do I think that's something we've talked about it that needs to get addressed in the next CBA, and they will they'll find a way to do that. Um, I mean, Adam Silver seems pretty unhappy with what's going on right now. Um, but I do like, I think right now the trade market is, is really fascinating because you're seeing it with Kevin Durant and, and I want to get into this in more detail. So I'm going to say in passing, and then we'll get into it a little bit later, um, that we're seeing it with Donovan Mitchell right now. And I think mm-hmm. it has in large part to do with other teams making mistakes in trades. You look at what the Timberwolves just gave up to get Rudy Gobert And it did. It shifted the market. I don't think the Nets would have been as firm in their demands if that trade hadn't happened. And so now I think you have both teams, the Nets and the Jazz, being like, that's what we got for Rudy Gobert. You better shell out everything to get these other guys. And so it's very hard to meet these demands because they are ludicrous, honestly. But we see that, like, okay, so here's Danny Ainge sitting in Utah. You know he's he's going to highball you, right? It's a negotiation. He's, he's going to start the negotiations high. And I think it's her wolves were like, I guess that's just the price and accepted that and traded what they asked for when really it should have been a long ongoing negotiation. I, I feel, you know, there's a, as a buyer, you have to be able to walk away from too steep a price, right? If, if, right. if a team looking to get rid of Rudy Gobert asks for a ridiculous package, a ridiculous return, should just be like, I don't think we can give that up. Yeah. And and that's the thing too. I, I, I think there's a, a, a disparity in leverage and like a, a misconception of who is actually in the driver's seat in these negotiations. Like the Nets, sure. They're saying, you know what? We're comfortable bringing everyone back. Sure. That's not like definitively going to work out for you at all. Have we heard from Kevin Durant say, hey, you know what? I will still play. If, like, I don't think he's going to Ben Simmons and not play, but we don't know that for sure. Do we know Kyrie is not going to just like walk off and disappear? Like, we don't know so much about the situation. So it's like I, I can, they're, they're putting out this image of saying, you know what? We're fine with it. We're, if we don't get our demands met, we're going to bring them back. And like, sure, you have to say that to a degree, but like, is it true? Is that actually true that you are willing to do that? Because last year, was, last year, the years before were such a shit show. How can you justify that? How can other teams not look at their situation and say, eh, I'm calling your bluff on that. I don't buy it. Yeah, I, I think everybody should be cautious. Like I said, when you're the when you're the buyer or the seller, you should be cautious of the other person and what they're asking for you. Obviously, if you're trying to buy something, you want to buy it for the lowest price possible. And if you're selling something, you want to sell it for the highest price possible. And through negotiations, you come to meet somewhere in between. And I don't think that's happening right now. I think it's we set a price, and if you don't like that price, then see you later. Right. right? The Jazz, it, like, it, you know, what are the Jazz supposed to do if they can't retool? Could, like, be decent, get stuck in no man's land? Like, uh, like. Well, that's... if I'm the Timberwolves, I'm like, all right, good, good luck drafting in the middle of the first round. I would, like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have bought it. I think giving up the what it was. I'm looking at the trade right now. Malik Beasley, Pad Bev. Uh, Leonardo Bomero, who was a rookie, Walker Kessler, mm-hmm. who they just drafted, Jared Vanderbilt, who was a huge part of their rotation and their defensive success, and then one, two, three, four, five, 
five first round picks and some trade exceptions. I just, I, the, it's such a ridiculous price for someone who you know has kind of had problems in the yeah. playoffs. And then along with that, like you already have a center on your roster. Why are you giving all that up? Right. And so I do, I think it, it is, it's, it's intriguing. And especially now, and I guess I'll use this to pivot into looking at the Donovan Mitchell trade situation because sure. they played their, in trading Gobert, they kind of played their cards because they might say, yeah, we want to retool around Donovan Mitchell, whatever. If they start the season with him on the roster and realistically end up trading him, that's a mistake on their part. You're winning more games than you have to. You are. He will win you extra games that you do. You realistically, if your plan yeah, is to will. rebuild through the draft, it's not smart. So if I'm Donovan Mitchell. I'm going out there and I'm trying to win a scoring title. Right. But I'm just saying like, he is right. He only has himself to play for at that point. He's going to be unhappy. And ultimately they are going to trade him by trading Gobert and signaling that everyone else in the roster is up for grabs. They are committing to a rebuild. They cannot think, start the season with him, which means they have lost. They can say, all right, fine. We're going to back up. We're not going to trade him to you yet, but like sure. the clock's ticking. They cannot start the season with Mitchell on the roster. So whether it is, you know, the Knicks who have that giant trade package available or someone else who comes mm-hmm. in with something else, like, realistically they have to move them like it they, they don't have as much leverage in this situation as they think they do especially now that they traded Gobert. again i think it's important for the knicks to say like good like i hope i hope you find success building around donovan mitchell and you know drafting guys at 15 16 17 like, it, like right and, and you're so, not gonna you're not gonna be a successful franchise you you're the one who has to move him so you can move forward with your organization and, and start with you know we talk about them trading just go bare, but they traded everybody. They traded O'Neal. They let people walk in free agency. Right. You know, Windhorse did the like, why is that? You know, and that's when it kind of started when. Right. You know, so. I mean, hey. but that's why. So I look at, I look at currently what is on the table for Donovan Mitchell. And the truth of the matter is like that they want picks. That is realistically yeah, and, their goal is to accumulate as many picks as possible. Maybe like young players, but like picks is the goal. And so who has the you most want to draft guys to that you can develop? I, I think we talked about it a little bit with uh, maybe it was like the Nets or someone like that trying to trade for pieces that other people want to develop. I think it was Warriors and Nets, and you were yeah. like, "Oh, well, you could trade for Wiseman and Kaminga." But I'm like, "But the Nets didn't draft those guys, right? The Nets want to draft somebody and, and build them into the Nets system rather than saying like, here's someone who got drafted into the Warriors system and knows how to play right. Warriors basketball.' And then we have to unlearn how to play Warriors basketball. And we have to learn how to play Nets basketball, right? So. The Jazz want picks, obviously, and other young players who haven't really developed their skill set. But and the Knicks offered that. I think what the so the Jazz Knicks wanted have, from the Knicks were was way too much. The thing I don't is, remember the exact package. yeah. So the the Knicks have eight possible picks they can trade, four of their own, and then four protected picks from various teams at various years. Um, I won't get into like the nitty gritty of them, just because it's a little iffy. Um, but they can, on paper, offer the most picks out of any team right now, any interested team. I don't think the Thunder are interested. I don't think the Pelicans are interested just for fit reasons. Um, it sounds like that probably is not happening. Um, the only other team that has shown significant interest is the Miami Heat, who realistically you don't have enough. To they offer. have currently two of their own. They could pay the Thunder to get the third one, like unprotected, but sure. that would come at a cost. So they would have to make a move to even just have three picks. Then on top of that, what players are you sending? Sounds like Tyler Hero is the most intriguing, most intriguing one. But, but like, again, that's, that's why do the Jazz one want where, 
Right. It's another one where we can we can acquire Tyler Hero, but then we have to teach him not to play heat basketball, and then we have to teach him how to play jazz basketball. And so, like, realistically, too, you're going to match salaries with Duncan Robinson, which is an ugly contract, but the jazz, if you're tanking, that's fine. You can bring that in. The same way the Knicks would have to trade Fournier. But I still think, like, sure. there's no package that he can offer that even remotely compares to what the Knicks can offer. With their combination of young players in Grimes, McBride, I mean, I don't. I personally don't think they should trade Emmanuel quickly or Obi Toppin, but they're available. I'm like I just think there's I, way too much out there that the Knicks can send that way. But at the same time, the Knicks need to look at this and say, "All right, the Jazz want all eight picks and all of the players in an ideal world. Let's even bring that lower. They want six picks and two of the young players. That is exponentially them- larger than anything the Heat can send. Why are we? Why would we trade that?" The also, also, offer is better than what the, the Heat consists. It's, it's also, what did, what did OKC get for Paul George? It was like five picks, SGA, who that, wasn't the all-star he was at the time. He was good, but not an all-star level player. I, like, I, just, I think if you keep the package realistic, right, like, it should be what, like two young players, one young player, and uh, some salary matching. And, but you know, here's the thing. I, I think Donovan trade, Mitchell is not even as close to as good as Paul George. I just that, want to say that. And – and in that trade, you were getting you were getting Paul George to also get Kawhi. So you were willing to give up more. So like well, you had Kawhi. So like when the Lakers traded for still AD, that inequity. Was, uh, right. There's there was, still that inequity there where the Thunder in that situation were like, yeah, we have leverage because you desperately need Paul George to get Kawhi. Sure. So we yeah. want even more. So that's how I look at this where I'm saying like there isn't quite that contingency of the Jazz can be like, ah, oh, no, you know, we're not going to. Like you don't, they don't have that same leverage of saying, "Oh, like you need this badly." The Knicks don't have to do this. They, they Nobody has to no do one... anything they don't want to. Right. I, 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 Whereas I the, really think that in that situation, the Clippers had to to get Kawhi. You you move heaven and earth to get Kawhi Leonard and pair him with Paul George. I, just, I would have traded more than they traded, frankly. I think I think a lot of people will take. I want to I want to look at like past trades, and you think about the Toronto Raptors trading for Kawhi Leonard. They had an established roster, and basically what they did, they traded their cornerstone for a slightly better cornerstone. They, they make a trade that's, that they knew was going to work. They were like, wow, we're either going to be as good as we were last year or we're going to be better. When I see trades like Rudy Gobert to the Timberwolves, they're taking a shot at an experiment, and they're sending away their future as well, and they're kind of screwing each other. You think about like the Nets. They're like, we're going to take a shot at Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and yeah. Um, and they screwed themselves, right? So uh, again, I, I think if you're the buyer, you have to say, what is the return value? Are we just as good as we were last year? You know, is this going to screw us in three years, four years, right? Like, if but, you're if your current window is you know one two years, it makes sense to send all your draft picks to grab somebody. When when the Lakers traded for Anthony Davis and they sent away literally every young player and every pick they had. It made sense because they they were trying to win right here, right now with LeBron. They had what two, three years with LeBron, and they were like, "This is it. Like right. we don't need these. We don't need these picks in five years because we're trying to win a championship right now." And so I I I really think that a lot of teams will cash in for right now, especially because like if you look at the Timberwolves and what they had, if they had just waited two or three years. They would probably be in the same place that they hadn't traded for Rudy Gobert. Anthony Edwards is on the rise. You know, Carl Anthony Towns is starting to find his role next to Edwards. And 
I'm, you know, people don't necessarily like D'Angelo Russell, but it, maybe you bring him back on a more friendly contract. Like they had a good roster. There was no reason to trade for Gobert. You had other young players on that roster who, you know, made, it, made sense. Price. Especially at the price. And right. so I think your point also really applies to the Knicks as well of like, they are not trying to win right now by training for Donovan Mitchell. It is a step in the right direction for them where you get Mitchell, RJ Barrett continues to improve, other pieces on the roster continue to improve. They're young and good. Then you get that extra star who comes in and that's when you're competing. So it's more like you were trading to make yourself more appealing. And it would be immediately by having him and and improved RJ and everything. It would, and Jalen Brunson, like that team would be way more appealing to a star on paper, but you're trading to then win in two or three years. So like, it's hard to my issue. That. My issue. My, another issue I have with the Knicks making this move is you trade for Mitchell. Now you have Brunson, who you promised a significant role in offense. You have Julius Randle, who already has a significant role in offense. And then Donovan Mitchell comes in, and you have to give him a significant role in offense because he's better than everybody else on your roster. So I what happens that, to RJ? Right. So here's how I look at that. One, Julius Randle can kick rocks. Dude can stand in the corner. I do not give a shit. The dude should not be running the offense. But that's not what's going to happen. Two out of three years he's been the Knicks. It's been a disaster. Tibbs Tibbs will put a preference over, put a preference on Randle over Barrett. Look at me. Like, you can't look at me and not agree with that. I don't know. The front office is intervening. I mean, look at the moves they made this offseason so far. They are prioritizing development. They traded for Cam Reddish, and then Tibbs refused to play him. They were like, play him. And he was like, nope. Right. Fine. But that means Tibbs has to go too. I don't give a, I do not care. Randall is not going to be on this team. Randall's his four-year extension starts this season. He will not finish that extension on this team. So it doesn't matter. Like, that's how I look at this. At some point, my goal for him is improve enough that teams look at you as a net neutral contract and we will ship you the hell off because OB ultimately needs to play more anyway. So that's realistically the way I look at it. There's a lot of guys on that roster who should play more. I think there's a disconnect. We've gotten into a little bit of a Knicks rant here, but I think that the biggest problem with the Knicks right now is there's the owner and the coach, and they kind of have the same alignment. Let's play the vets. Let's win some games, maybe make the playoffs. You know, that makes money. And then there's the front office who's like, here's what we have on our roster, and we want to complement what we have on the roster, right? If the front office, I feel, is a little bit like, here we have R.J. Barrett. Let's kind of cater the roster to R.J. Barrett a little bit. They trade for his friend in Cam Reddish, who fits well next to R.J. And then Dibs won't play him. So, no, I don't. I don't, I, I don't feel everybody's on the same page there. I think no, trading definitely. for Donovan Mitchell is a terrible idea, especially now that we have Jalen Brunson. I do think James Dolan is way more aligned with the front office than we realize. When is the last time we've really heard from him? Like the guy is heard from him and that's good. Right. But but... that's my point. I think he is trusting what the front office is doing. And I think their message, which they've generally kept close to the vest is really just absolutely appeasing him. And he's going with it, which is huge because I see their, I see the direction they're in. Like, even if you trade from, for Mitchell, you are still committing to a younger roster. You in trading for him are opening up minutes for more players, like more younger players. Cause realistically you're going to have to get rid of Fournier at some point, you're going to get rid of Randall because let's face it, the two of them are not complementary pieces. So I think you move some of this stuff around. And I think it works. It makes sense. The question is, how many picks are you giving up? And if any, how many young players are you giving up? I think it makes sense to give up a Quentin Grimes because realistically, he's playing the same position as Mitchell, who you're committing to long term. I think keeping quickly just, I, and OB makes the most sense. And you get rid of all the rest of the young guys. You get rid I of. Don't, I don't. 
believe that Randall will get moved at any point. He's going to, his contract will expire. Absolutely not. The next, uh, the problem is if we trade for Donovan Mitchell, we have to get rid of Randall right now. Otherwise RJ Barrett is done. His career is effectively over. I wouldn't say that. I think that's, there are three people. uh, There are three people ahead of him in the depth chart. I think there's one. I think the only person ahead of RJ, look at the end of last season. RJ was running the offense. Like, I still think Randall, Mitchell, Randall was, gave up. There was rumors that Randall wanted to get traded. Randall was and, done. And Tibbs was like, whatever, fine. And has that Randall changed? wasn't going to do it. necessarily. But that's why it I look probably, at it and I say, if you bring in Mitchell, Mitchell is clearly the top dog on offense. Then it's RJ. Then you, then it's RJ and Brunson kind of in tandem just because Brunson's a point guard. But like, I, do, I don't know. I firmly, and I also think it allows RJ. RJ was so great at defense to start the year. Then he took on a, a much larger offensive role as the season progressed and declined on that side of the ball. So I actually think there is significant payoff for bringing in another star because you can let RJ dominate one side of the ball and then be a complimentary piece on offense. And I think it really works. He doesn't have to be the driving force of an offense. Meanwhile, he can go for 30 any, any given night. We've seen it. Like he can, he has that potential night to night. But if he comes out and starts averaging 22 points a game, like, and is great on defense, like that's perfect. That literally, I couldn't imagine a better scenario for the Knicks this season. Unless Julius Randle's taking five shots a game, I don't see it happening. But that's the thing. Like, I think of other teams that, like, realistically would be interested in Randle. Like, why wouldn't a team like the Hornets, who obviously just lost Miles Bridges, like, why would they not be interested in him? There are teams that would want him. Why Portland, for example. Why would they not be interested in him? What do you trade for Randle if you're the Hornets? Literally, I don't – they – I – I can't equate what that trade would be, but the Knicks don't need salary back. That's not what they're necessarily looking for. We don't need salary back, but the or Hornets we'll have take no a bad motivation. Contract. We'll take a bad contract from you. I don't care. Like, we'll take one and bench him. It doesn't matter. That's how I look at it. And so I say, like, I think that is the one that makes the most sense in the wake of the Miles Bridges news. And I think there are other teams that might be interested. Let's face it. 2010 and 5 doesn't grow on trees. And Randall does that. Sure, two out of three years he's done it for the Knicks. It's been inefficient, but I think that's still valuable to some teams. Right now, because of the pre- the presence of Obi Toppin, it doesn't make sense on the Knicks. It doesn't make sense on the Knicks. It never made sense on the Knicks. It did. It was two a signing years ago. because two years ago, because we were so garbage, we, we needed anybody to be good. They were the four the seed. Ho- yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were the I know four it's seed. A fluke we, lost year. To, we lost to five. To in with the Hawks, a very young Hawks that did not look good this year. So I, I really, I, I don't. I think I've expressed expressed this over the past two years. Never really. I, it, I, I don't like Randall. I'm no, a huge like, RJ Barrett guy. I want RJ Barrett to be the king of New York. I, I understand think- this whole hype around Donovan Mitchell. I'd be very happy acquiring Donovan Mitchell if Jalen Brunson had stayed with the Mavericks. Would have been like, oh, we need a guard you know, to kind of compliment RJ. See, and I RJ think can just, I, I do agree with that. I don't maker. love, I don't love the Brunson Mitchell fit. That said, I, I don't, don't, I don't overly care because I don't think Brunson's, I don't think, and especially on his decreasing salary, the way they, they set it up where he's making yeah, yeah. all the money up front and then it progresses off. That's a very tradable player down the road. hundred percent tradable. But, but you know, if I want to make right the playoffs now, and I want to compete in the playoffs, I need big, long, strong But players. they're not winning the championship this year anyway. Like, that's the thing. I want to go like, to the playoffs. fine for now. 
It is fine for now having the two. I want to win a playoff series. But are you telling me that, are you telling me that a team of let's say for argument's sake, I get my way and they don't give up that much to if you have a sure, team sure, of sure, sure. and depending on whether or not Derek Rose gets traded, for argument's sake in this scenario, I am keeping him. We say Jalen Burns at starting one, um, Donovan Mitchell at the two, RJ at the three. If whether Randall's there or not, let's say Randall's there at the four and Mitchell Robinson at the five, starting lineup, then your bench is Derek Rose, Emmanuel quickly a three that you sign now in the secondary free agent market, Obi Toppin and Isaiah Hartenstein. Is that team not at least like the seven in the play-in? It's a good team. I don't know, on paper, it's a great team. You have a lot of guys who can score 20 points a game, but in like practice, I, I, does it work? I don't know. That's I, my like, issue. I think, that, I think that team is very solid, and I think that's a perfect framework for your future. Like I, as long as you don't give up too much in that trade pick wise, that is so appealing. How, if you're a free agent, are you not like, I want to go play in New York with this awesome young core. That's fun. Like to me, that is super, so much more intriguing okay, than I, not having Donovan Mitchell in the fold. I, again, I think if Donovan Mitchell's in New York, it, it definitely makes it a more attractive free agent market, but what type of free agents are you going to attract? Is it the LeBrons? Is it the Kawhi's? Is, is it the Zion's right? Or is it like, that's you're looking at that 2025 free agent class that's loaded. That's what you're, that's what you're, that's what you're eyeing. Or next off season, LeBron opts out and we take LeBron. I'm kidding. But like, never. But like, also, why would LeBron not want to come play with that? It's better than the shit storm that the Lakers have. Literally, it would be a more appealing free agent destination than what the Lakers have going on. But I digress. I mean, looking looking at the free agent class in 2025, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Rudy Gobert. Okay, it's a 35-year-old Paul George, a 34-year-old Kawhi Leonard, Rudy Gobert, a 32-year-old Anthony Davis, a 29-year-old Ben Simmons, a 35-year-old Drew Holiday, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, but I would be so shocked if Jason Tatum didn't go back to the Celtics. The biggest free agent on this list is going to be Brandon Ingram. Okay. And that would be a good fit, especially if he improves. I think, I think he's a great player. I think he could be the best player on a championship team. He's got the length. He's got the size. I think if he was more aggressive, like we saw in the playoffs, he played really well. They had a good team. I think they were a little overmatched against the number one seed Suns, but uh, they brought it to six. So Yeah. But again, I, my point being, I just think it becomes at some point a more – of. It, it's a more desired destination. Being Who's there, come? Lonzo Ball, Tim Hardaway Jr. Yeah, just bring Tim Hardaway back again. I just the I, match I, made in I, heaven. I, no, I but I do. The, I, I just think it. It you need to make yourself appealing for that star to come in the off season. And usually, in theory, the way it goes is you have your star, then you trade for the other. This could actually work the other way around, where you are trading for a young good star pairing him with someone who I believe could be an all-star next season in RJ Barrett. And then the goal is that is intriguing enough for whenever one more star says, Hey, I want to come here. He walks and comes like, that's perfect. So you do set yourself up for that scenario. Is it a guarantee? Absolutely not. But especially if you also don't give up too much of your trade chips right now, maybe you do have a second trade in you as time passes. So that's why I just think it makes sense to make a move now, as long as it's not too expensive. So I do, I think you're, you're, you're making your first step towards contention in doing that. 
Because on the Pantheon right now, sure, you'll get there, but it might be five, six years from now. Trading for Mitchell makes it like a three-year plan. I'll leave it at this. I am a massive hater, and I understand how big of a hater I am. I just, I, I don't know if I'd be happy with the Knicks if Donovan Mitchell my friend, My friend just sent me a, a link, so I, this is pretty applicable for us talking. Lakers, Knicks can explore Julius Randle trade. And my other friend texted, I'm down to trade Julius for Westbrook, and they just tell him to sit out, LOL. Which, like, yeah. Again, if it meant getting Randall off the roster and maybe another pick to facilitate the Mitchell trade, like, yeah, yeah, I'm on board for that. Like, I just, there are so many ways that I think this team could get better. And I do think Randall is desired other places if he's not in that primary role, which is why there's also part of me that says, fine, Jazz want to sit on um, this, this Donovan Mitchell trade into the season, which would be, excuse my French, fucking stupid. Like, you can, you give yourself time for Randall to repair his image. If playing next to Brunson and not having to dominate the ball as much, and maybe RJ is more integral on offense, he could repair his image a little bit. If, if Julius Randall, if Julius Randall could show me that he could be a productive third option, big forward, I would take him. But as of right now, he has not proven that. He wants the ball in his hands, drives into the paint. He chucks up a really contested shot. I, I I don't know if if, if Julius Randle turns into like a high high possession like a fast paced three and D forward, I would take him. And he shot the ball well at certain points, but I mostly mean, as a center. When you know Joel Embiid's not going to step all the way out to the three point no. line to guard Randle, but I also right, but I, like I just like think Sadiq I, Bay will. I'm not saying he's perfect. I don't think that contract's that bad. Like it's not like he's making 30 million. So like, no, but but that's why I think teams would want him. And I just think there are ways to facilitate moving him where you progress yourself forward. And so I think the first step of that is getting Donovan Mitchell. I think he would be the perfect fit next to RJ Barrett. I really do. Because RJ, as good as he is on offense, he isn't that dynamic of a scorer. He's more of like a facility. Like he is best driving, kicking and like, He's a wing. He spot up things. He's like a that's, wing that's forward. That's at his best. It's not like he's in like this big layup package mid-range game. He's pretty inefficient in the paint. He's good at getting there, and he's going to get better at getting to the line. But he needs that extra guy who can go create off the dribble. And so I think that's perfect. I, think, like, I, I thought that's I think why we brought sense. in Brunson. All right, fine. You trade Brunson down the line. It's not like Brunson is this differentiator. Brunson's perfect next to stars. Look at what he did with Luca. He is a great compliment. 100%. And our star is RJ Barry. <laughs> Or you put him next to two good guys. Luke, I'm not disagreeing with you. I love RJ, and I do think he has potential to be an all-star as early as this season. But he does too. I, think I don't, he was an all-star last season. Fine. It, be that as it may, I'm just saying I, I don't think there's any harm in pairing these two together. I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, and so I do. I think there are teams that are going to be hungry enough to go get Julius Randle, let Obi play more. That's why I think, like, uh, and I'm going to use this. Let's. I almost want to parlay this into talking about the summer league. But you look at some of the Knicks' talent, young talent. I don't know why the Jazz wouldn't be interested in a lot of these guys. It sounds like they mo- are most interested in Quentin Grimes, who, if you're trading for Donovan Mitchell, like he's going to be buried on the bench anyway for as long as you have Donovan Mitchell because they play the same position. And let's face it, as much as I like Grimes, and he made first team all summer league, like he is not as good as Donovan Mitchell, and I doubt he will be at any point in his career. 
So that said, he's a perfect trade piece. And I think a lot of teams would love to have a guy like that, especially on a younger team. Like that is like, you're, you're giving him flexibility to grow. Like, I just think it makes more sense. So you look at him, you look at a Deuce McBride who could go play on a young growing team. McBride has shown plenty of promise. Um, Yeah. Obviously you would probably trade Cam Reddish in this deal as well. Fine. The Knicks don't need him on this depth chart. So like, then you trade Fournier and then you trade some picks. Like, I just think there are ways to facilitate this, to make it work that the Knicks preserve their young core and future flexibility and the jazz get what they want in plenty of picks and young players. So like, I, I really do think that it is a match made in heaven. I think right now what the jazz are doing, they may had their conversation with the Knicks, but the Knicks said almost exactly that. And now they're going to other teams to see if they can get similar equal value. They can't, we know they can't. We've looked at every other team right now and there's, Unless the Thunder are going to trade for Donovan Mitchell, which makes no sense in hell. Like, it's not happening. The Pelicans aren't doing it. They just traded for CJ McCollum. Like, it's not – there is no situation where it makes sense outside of New York and Miami, and Miami cannot do it. There's my rant. What happens if Chet Holmgren makes a huge impact in OKC? That's the thing. There's not time for that. They have to trade Mitchell before the start of the season. They do. Or I'll say goodbye to Victor. Say goodbye to Victor. Like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to hold on to him. What are you holding on to him That'd for? Be, imagine if OKC okay, so had the number one pick next year, Chet and Victor and Pokachevsky. It would be electric. I'd love to see that lineup. That'd be they play all three of them at the same time. Yeah, but I mean, just for just for fun, I think they would have to. Roll no, I think I think that'd be a real. I think that'd be a real lineup. Shea, you'd have Giddy Shea. And then Poku, Chet, Victor, length. Honestly, all it's kind all of length fun. team. The I like it. On that starting lineup is Shed, who's like six five, six except, six. He's except, like I feel a... like the Poku experiment is failing. I feel like anytime he gets a shot, it's just not working. But he is still so yeah, young. They give him so many chances, and he's so inconsistent. Um, no, I do though. I think it's. Uh, I, I I genuinely think the Knicks make the most sense. So. We'll see what happens. Like, I, I don't like I, I guess we don't really necessarily know what's going to come out in the next few weeks. It sounds like this could drag out. It's not like something that has to happen overnight. But there sure. is that long term clock of looking at the end of the summer start of training camp where you're like, eh, all right, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing in Utah? You know, so I, that's how I look at it. I think something will get done in the next few weeks. Uh, how much summer league did you watch? Good amount. Watched a good amount of summer. Did not watch the, the Knicks championship. Were good. Yeah, I mean the Knicks were uh, good, but I didn't watch the championship. I more wa- I watched for players. So like I didn't watch full games. I'd watch like first half here or there just to like see what guys looked like. But I did like sure. I was again not to just make this a Knicks heavy episode, but very encouraged by their young talent, and so that's why I, that's what's reinforcing my thought of it makes sense to trade with the Jazz um, because they did. I mean they made it to the final. First year, they were giving out summer summer league rings, and it was really like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. They were going to get trolled for celebrating the summer league win, summer league rings, but also get sure. trolled if they lost in the championship. So, like, they, there was no hope there. But I like I did. I you know I thought it was a. I love summer league. I always do. I think it's very fun to evaluate this young talent or talent that like is trying to crack their way in. Um, Portland was interesting. I mean, they essentially got to the championship without Shaden Sharp, which. Again, it, it, I mean, you probably feel vindicated about him, like getting hurt right off I, the bat. But yeah, I mean, they're like, he started playing. I was like, Ugh, 
he hit one really nice shot. It was like a turnaround fading baseline mid-range jumper. And I was like, oh, but it wasn't like I saw him make any like fabulous decisions. It wasn't like I was impressed by the way he fit within the flow of the offense or anything like that. And then like immediately they were like, he's injured. My roommate claims that he pulled something in game when he was on the court. And he's like, no, no, I saw him get injured. I was like, did you? Yeah. So, well, uh, I think that's the the issue is that we didn't have enough time to really evaluate him. And even as much as that is, I I mean, teams play what five games in summer league. Like even that is not enough time to really evaluate talent, but like you can can kind of get a nod. He hasn't played basketball in a whole year. I don't know who he is. The only thing I know about him is that everybody had him high on his draft board and he got drafted seventh overall, which in my opinion is a mistake because we don't know who he is. He hasn't played. I don't know that it was a mistake so much as it, it didn't make sense for Portland specifically. Like, I, I do think that there is upside there. There was a reason he was so highly touted yeah, coming out of I mean, high school. He's the number one, number one recruit out of high school, according to ESPN. And right. obviously that means something, but you're the number one player out of high school playing high school basketball, and then you go play college where everybody's good, especially right. if you're playing out of Kentucky where everybody you play is a no, top that recruit. That development is pivotal. Right. There's a, there's a speed, right. And and you want to ramp up the speed. You can't just go from high school to NBA really quick. Right. You see guys like Mitchell Robinson who didn't play in college and he has trouble with fouling because he doesn't understand the speed of an NBA game yet. It takes you time to develop the IQ to play in high school. It takes you time to develop in college. It takes you time to develop into the pros. So the fact that he never got one year of playing college basketball, real college games, not just practice, I think hurts you, especially if, you're the Portland Trailblazers and you said, we want to win right now with Damian Lillard. Right. And then you draft a guy who's going to need four or five years to, you know, be a So the reason I think starter. it kind of makes sense for them is let's say he starts the season and looks awesome. Like really looks great. Like truly like first team all rookie looks like a guy that young teams might want to trade for. Maybe then you're in the market to trade him for another piece. Like I think it is potentially an advantageous risk that they took. Boomer bust. Yeah, it's it, but like realistically, that's kind of how I, I look at this. I'm not saying I, I sign off on it. It's not like this would have been my preferred option for them, but I kind of get it. I do like a little, I don't know. Like I it's it's definitely not my favorite thing. Um, but I'm 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 not out on Portland taking it as much as you are. I'm very out on it. I don't yeah. think anybody should have taken him within the lottery. And that's like I don't think we should be rewarding players for purposefully sitting out i think it says a lot about his mindset where like this is a business but that's not kind of what i want to bring into the locker room especially because you kind of see it with brooklyn where their two top players were like "Eh, like yeah this is just a job to me no you want guys who come in and like i love playing basketball i want to be here i want to be on the court i want to make an impact right that's Mm -hmm. those are the types i types of guys i draft in the lottery and then after that i can say like okay maybe this guy isn't perfect or you know maybe he'll never develop into a diamond but you can at least be confident in them i I have no confidence in this kid being uh like a productive person in my locker room i agree with you that he's a great basketball player but everybody in the nba level is a great basketball player so right um also not to not to circle back on this but i'm just seeing more stuff pop up apparently mark stein is reporting about that westbrook uh randall swat Sounds uh, yeah. like it could happen if the Lakers are 
unable to trade for Kyrie, which who the hell knows what's going on there. And um, if the Knicks are able to get Donovan Mitchell, which I think makes sense on both fronts. Like I think them trying to get off of long-term salary and Randall and bringing in an expiring deal, I think that makes perfect sense. And if you get extra draft capital back to take on Westbrook, I think it makes perfect sense. So beside the point, um, but I do, I think there is a little more fire here than just me getting a text from a friend. I'm, I'm now seeing these reports come out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, again, I even think it's worse. If, we, if the Knicks acquire Westbrook, it's gotta be a. Yeah. It's ugly. Trade and cut. You got to wave him because then no, that's so like, much there's no money. space for him. That is so much money though. Just pay it, buy it out then. I don't want to stretch it. I see no value stretching that contract. You have to, if he's on, if he's playing minutes for the New York Knicks, I will be very disappointed. Yeah, I agree with that. I would hate that. Do a do like a mellow thing, trade for him, and then like immediately buy him out. He was a Nick for like fifteen minutes. That's, I know, that's but there's I no way he's leaving money on the table. Uh, other summer league. Uh, yeah, let's things. get back to that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, Keegan I, Murray won summer league MVP. To your, yes, to know, your, much to your chagrin. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that at all. I think he's a very complete player. Watching him at Iowa, he was always a good scorer. He could do it from all levels and a handful of different ways. Sounds to me like he can go out there and get you a bucket. I know we talked about this last week. <laughs> he's Cam. He's 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 Cam Johnson. That's like I think he's better. The than difference. Cam the difference between him and Cam Johnson was that he was the only good player on a pretty solid Iowa team. And didn't they lose in the first round of the tournament? And you kind of, that kind of shows the, I literally, yeah, kind of, I had that Iowa team going to the final four and they lost in the first round of the tournament. Yeah. And I think that's because a lot of people saw this Iowa team who played well in big 10 conference because Keegan Murray out hustles everybody, which in like the big 10 works. We had Caleb Swanigan. Yeah. And then we got bounced in the first round. Caleb Swanigan won, or was like second in player of the year voting. Right. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I think he's very good. I, I really think the difference between him and Cam Johnson was that when Cam Johnson was at UNC, they had a lot of guys. Cam Johnson was kind of like an off-screen shooter, wing-type player who I think Cam Johnson, you know, he averaged like 20 points per game in UNC his last year. So uh, I, I think Keegan Murray very is far player. more dynamic than Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson's a role player. Keegan Murray can be like, I think he can ultimately become an all-star. He's going to start playing NBA minutes, and you're going to be like, oh. Playing in the summer league, you you can see that he's a man amongst boys, but once he gets in the big leagues with some – like, I think Harrison Barnes is going to be like, who are you? Like, I'm not there's saying going as to be a, no I'm competition. I'm saying as a rookie he's going to be like that. I'm saying over time. Uh, We're just talking about how you need to develop over time. Okay, so Cam Johnson and Keegan Murray's upside potential is a Harrison Barnes. No, I – well, I mean, also, like, that's not that bad. Harrison Barnes, like, is good-ish. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's good, not relative he got to his paid. Contract, But, yeah. Like, I think Cam Johnson, that is his ceiling. I think Keegan Murray is better than that. Where do you think Keegan Murray could go? The problem is his play style is so different. Like, I feel like it's it's hard to really pinpoint, like, a true comparison. But, like... He's a shooter. He's a movement shooter. The problem is his length is what skews me on a comparison. Because he is, like, a bigger player. And, like... Obviously, what comes to mind when you think of like longer, bigger players, you go, your head intuitively goes Kevin Durant, which is not where his ceiling is. He's much lower than that. But like 
he is that kind of player, just worse. So like, I don't his, know what the comparison necessarily. He is. has he has a well polished game. I don't think he has any. Can weak I say spots like? In his can I say game. somewhere in between like Andrew Wiggins and Kevin Durant, like at a ceiling? He's not. He I think he's athletic. He gets up. He can dunk. You know, very strong. He's not the quickest player in the world. I've seen him rip down rebounds and run down the court. His handle is good, but not polished. He's not break Siakam. anybody's ankles. Pascal Siakam might be a good comparison. You know, less, a little less physical, but yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe you know, no, I, I, I'd say they're about the same. I mean, when you look at Keegan Murray's highlights in college, he's a post-up player. And the reason why he scored 27 points a game was because right. he would throw up a he would throw up like a hook shot and he would miss and then he would grab the offensive rebound and he would put it back up like right away. He's bigger and stronger than a lot of other guys, especially at his position. It but goes away in the NBA, especially as yeah. a rookie. So, you know, uh, I think he's a good movement shooter. They're going to run him around a lot of screens. He's going to create a lot of space for some of the other guys on that team. And uh, I think he's a good fit with what they have, but I don't think he'll ever develop into an all-star, maybe a one-time all-star. That, that's the, yeah. May, I mean, so. maybe. Look, I'm, I'm not saying it's set in stone. I just, based on what I've seen, which, again, is a few games of summer league basketball, I'm impressed. I'm going to get a impressed Brunson type contract. Me looking at them taking him over Jaden Ivey, I am not as, like, upset by it anymore. Jaden Ivey was also another one of the players where watching him in summer league, I was like, okay, this is exactly what I expected from him. He's He's – very confident in almost an arrogant type way. Yeah. His decision-making is questionable at times. Um, but I think if you run well-built plays for him and you give him time, he can be successful. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's kind of the, is that not the timeline? It is the timeline for them. Right. I, like, like I he think has all the sense. time and space in the world. Right. It's going to be a great fit, but yeah, hey, I, I think four and five were good fits. And looking at some of the other guys, obviously, Paulo got shut down early after looking really impressive. Chet played a couple of really impressive games, obviously uh, had some problems with his strength. Um, but we kind of knew that coming in, right? You knew he was going to get bullied a little bit. And that's just kind of the process of being in the NBA. He's going to have to figure out how to compete with, you know, guys like Embiid, which he's going to get body by. And uh, yeah. Jabari Smith, I thought, looked good. I don't think he looked great. I think uh, his jump shot's a little flat, a little hard. I feel like none of those top guys, other than Paolo, was I like, wow, okay. Like, I I think this is it. Like, I think there were clear flaws in Chet's game, in um, Jabari Smith's game. Paolo was the only one where I was, like, definitively, like, okay. Like, I think this guy is going to be a multi-time all-star. The rest of them, like, I wouldn't be – like, I could be – I wouldn't be surprised if it went either way. I could see some of them like being perennial all stars and others like mm. very, and at the same time, not like being very bad. So I think, I think Jabari Smith's going to have the hardest career out of all of them. Obviously, a high level contender yeah. and wants to be great, but I think Chet could easily be good with something as simple as like a position change. Okay, we don't he want Chet guarding and like, beat anymore. He also and just needs you move to like, him to forward, eat, like literally just put on weight. And he will because he's only nineteen. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. put on weight. You will get better if you get bigger and stronger. Because his, his skill set is already there. The, literally, the only knock I have on him is his physicality, and so that's why I just yeah. hit the weight room, kid. NBA trainers uh, with you, like, he'll be fine. 
he just needs that. He's got to show he's willing to do it and willing to get bigger. But until that point, it's like it's like Evan Mobley, but weaker. He can be if he can be as physically like even just like an Evan Mobley. Like you don't have to be much bigger than he's, him. He's definitely a little more finesse than Evan Mobley. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you could get position, that, if you could get that level of, I don't know what's the. I don't want to say like fat that's going to be that's going to be on your bones, be a, but like. He is much skinnier and and frailer than Evan Mobley. So, like, if you could just longer, he's he's a little longer. Right, fine. Doesn't matter when you're getting back down in the post. Yeah, that's going to be a marquee matchup. I would love to see an Evan Mobley Chet Holmgren matchup. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's a fair that is a fair goal for Chet to put on that amount of weight to better compete in the NBA. Oh, speaking of the Rockets, Tari, you say they made first team all summer league. I yeah. thought he looked really good when I watched I him play. I was like, wow, he's better than Jabari Smith right now. So, uh, yeah, but I also think it's, it's say, easy. But... It's, I feel like it's easier for smaller players coming into the league to like, especially in summer league, to go in and be a little more dynamic with the ball. So, like, yeah, it, it, I, the, um, the pressure, I the pressure is on Jabari league. Smith. Yes, I agree. That's how um, I felt. <laughs> which, hey. I thought a lot of the Warriors guys looked pretty good. I was happy to see James Wiseman getting some highlights that I saw. Um, Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody. Like, I think all those guys playing and just getting a little more time. Because let's face it, if the Warriors, I know they're, like, obviously in that rumor mill of Kevin Durant teams that could trade. Like, sure. I also think if you don't go that way and you do keep these young players, like, you want to develop them in Warriors systems. And, like, I think all of them can fit that mold perfectly. So, like, it is an interesting, like, you're going to see like that. I feel like it's like that Ninja Turtle meme where like, it's like the changing of the guard kind of, but mm-hmm. we could easily see that in Golden State and like, they could really just have this like perennial winner with those guys. They could. I I think the Warriors are in a good position. Obviously they reloaded in last year's draft. Yeah. Two, year, two years ago. I don't remember. I mean, they had two, two drafts now, right? They had, I mean, they got Wiseman, they got Moody, they got Kaminga. Like they've gotten plenty of good, good young players. So They've done well in the drafts. A lot of that does help when you have Steph and Clay get hurt and Draymond not play, so you get the second overall pick. But like, yeah, right. And then they had they had what like Mooney got drafted 14th, and they had someone else's pick that they drafted. They had the Timberwolves pick, right? And trading. That's, uh, that's trading how, I mean that that right exactly. So they have. I mean, they've made good moves, and like mm-hmm. I, I think that they are very much they're like in a similar spot to. Again, not that everything's coming back to the Knicks, where you have a good young core. The thing is, the other thing that they have going for them that the Knicks don't have is that their current team is great too. So, like the Warriors, I actually think are in one of the best positions that an NBA team could possibly be in right now. Like for just looking at current and long-term success, I don't think anyone is in a better spot than them. I, I relate it back to when the Spurs had um, the Admiral and then going to Duncan. It's, yeah, exactly, sure, no, Duncan. It feels just like that. So the Curry era will end, and then you'll see some of these younger guys step up. I think Kamega has a huge upside. Wiseman didn't feels, look as good as I thought he should look, but it feels I think just he'll be like a good that. NBA player. I I think that's um, like the perfect perfect way to look at this. Uh, Trey Murphy of the Pelicans. He had one game that I watched. He shot like ninety percent from three. But he was just chucking. Yeah. And also just like the problem with the Pelicans too is like not many young guys are going to crack the roster now, especially that they had last year's young guys look so good. Like I feel like their well, roster spots are pretty much set in stone at this point. Like there isn't one of the guys on the roster last year. Him and Herb Jones were the two guys who got big minutes. They were both rookies right. last year. But so. I, just, I just think too, as like, especially when Zion comes back, like I think that 
their rotation is going to look slightly different than last year, especially with some of the different combinations. Like realistically, you're going to stagger the way you play McCollum, Ingram, yeah. and Zion. Like they're going to have some weird rotations in there. So I don't feel like there are big minutes for those younger guys necessarily. The biggest biggest question for the Pelicans will be how does Valanciunas and Zion fit on the floor together? If you run a Valanciunas Zion lineup and Zion's still struggling to shoot threes a little bit, I think that'll be a big question to answer. Yeah. I mean, Valanciunas can also space the floor a little bit more. So like you can give Zion a little He's, more leeway. I think both of them eight. can shoot. It's just like, if both of them were on the floor together, do I still have the same spacing? Are people respecting both of their jump shots the same way if I ran, like, you know, if I had Herb in the corner versus Zion or I had Herb in the corner versus Valanciunas, like, are people respecting that? Or So it's I mean, just is, interesting to think about. This is also, like, potentially a dumb question, but, like, how many threes has Zion even attempted in his career? Like, I, I know that that's many. like a... Ret- right. Like, I think that's... It is a little ridiculous for me to ask that question, but, like... I don't think he's t- attempted. I'm trying to now go on to basketball reference and see. Um, he's attempted 48, 48 in his career. That's it. Like that is such a small sample size. I can't even look into whether or not he'd be good at shooting NBA threes. Yeah. I mean, he shoots about one a game, which is fine, you know? So I think right. at first Zion's going to have to play a lot of center. He also, really he, he also did hit like, I mean, of the, the 48 that he's or the 16 that he's made of his 48 attempted, he made like four of them the first game he played. So like, yeah, it is a little ridiculous. He just doesn't shoot them, nor does he really have to. I mean, he's a bulldozer. He gets to the rim against anyone. I don't care who's in front. So of him. easy for him. Yeah, I'm exactly. excited to see Zion come back. I'm so. so happy he's coming back. I'm so excited. I mean, summer league was like a good little teaser, but I can't wait for the regular season to start up again. I it's just the can't best. wait for preseason. I just want to see some of the real guys get out there. That's like, uh, all this Drew League hype. People, okay. So LeBron went and played in Drew League and scored like 42. Yeah. THT went to go play in Drew League and scored 13. And, yeah, and people <laughs> were like, bro. Dude is still mid in Drew League. The thing that I I found very interesting about everything that happened with the Drew League over the weekend was, and I really do, like, I hate that everything keeps coming back to this, but, like, Kyrie was supposed to play and didn't show. Like, yeah, people have been trying to How is anyone going to trade for him confidently? How are the Nets going to bring him back confidently? He was supposed to go play at Drew League and then everybody's defending him, like, Oh, but he was actually at Phil Hardy's camp coaching young women, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, but he had but said he was going to play a Drew right, League. Don't make dual commitments if you can't right. get to both. If you like, knew you were going to be – in... so unreliable. It, it, it's it's not that – it would be one thing if he was like, okay, I'll come play in Drew League, and then he didn't show, and he was just absent. I'd be more okay with that than the fact that he committed to go play in Drew League, kind of knowing that he wouldn't be there. Or he yeah. committed to Drew League and then was like, you know what, Phil, I would love to come play – at your camp. Right. You know, like you can't do that. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. And that's kind of, yeah, it yeah, just yeah. feels like he does whatever he wants. Like he does not care what it means for anyone else around him. And he just, I think that's exactly why we're in the situation we're currently in. So okay. I like, it just is very funny to me looking at that Drew League situation. Like, I think that is really to me just like, that's the cherry on top of it all. And so I don't know. Like, I, I think it's, it's going to be interesting to monitor the Nets, specifically Kyrie. And obviously, you know, I think they're not going to do anything with him until they have a clearer picture with Durant. But something's got to give. I do not think there's a long-term solution with the Nets and Kyrie. 
And I think that just reinforces, I think that Drew League performance reinforces that. No one can, no one can trust him. The Nets are fed up with it and they're going to let, they're going to realistically, I'm going to guess by the deadline, try and find a move for him. So, because I mean, there is, there's no long-term future between the two of them. There's not. My last comments. Yeah. Yeah. We've been on for a while. So let's, I don't think think Kyrie's going to be long-term anywhere. Um, No, that's fair. My last comments about Summer League would be, I thought the Heat drafted well, drafting Nikola Jovic. I think he played very well. I've seen a lot of highlights yeah. from him. Um, O'Shea Agabaji, drafted by the Cavs, I yep. thought was also a... Looked very good. Looked very good. And I thought the Spurs guys didn't necessarily look good, but I think the Spurs made the right picks at the right places. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with so, that. I, th- yeah, I think you were, thing- you were making very similar... Um, observations that I make so and again I don't want to overreact to summer league because I think that is very very unfair considering we've seen such swings we've seen Ben Simmons literally look like the best player of all time Kevin Knox looked like Magic Johnson like it, we've yeah. just seen it, it a lot of it it's just like one of these guys don't come out and really play you know some of these guys are looking for roster spots some of these guys just have like a couple hot games right. so I mean Anything can happen from this point on. It's just like taking in the little bit that I have seen and just kind of saying like, you know, this looks good. This didn't look good. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, everything changes. Also, Kenneth Lofton Jr. I know we saw those videos of him beating oh, up I on know. Chet, but I love him. I've been a big fan of him since I don't know, I've been in like a year now. He's just fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, he, he gets a little ball. We were just he talking does. about how we like Zion doing it. It's fun to have a bulldozer like that. And it he's, was very a, fun watching it against a guy who absolutely cannot withstand a bulldozer. So he's a lot like Zion, but he has no vert. Right. I mean, just, he can dunk. Obviously, he's like he's big, like any athletic, but he's just yeah, yeah. He's not <laughs> just he's got big those Zion guys body. absolutely throwing their body at people, and it works. Is essentially what from the strategy three. is. Yeah, they they right. give him he's the a ball, guard, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, he's gonna drive it right on me, and then. Pops one over the top and you're yeah. like, Ooh. so always fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, but all right, Luke, we have been on for a little while now, so let's let's cut our listeners, um, let's cut them loose here. Um, hopefully, by this time next week, we have some movement on the free agent front because I'm tired of everything being stalled. I want to see the secondary market start to go. Maybe sprinkle in a couple trades here or there, but um, for now, pretty pretty happy with the movement we've gotten, and uh, yeah. I don't know if you have any other parting takes. If not, we'll sign this bad boy off and, and hope for next week. Yeah, no, let's, let's get it next week. All righty. Well, to everyone who's made it this far, thank you for tuning in. This is the Hoop True Podcast, and join us next time.